It's Monday, January 30th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser and from Motley Fool Inside Value Joe Mager. Gentlemen, good weekend? Very good weekends. Awesome. All right, we are going to discuss uh, the alcohol industry and the fast food industry. We do not have samples in the studio, just in case anyone was, uh, was wondering. But we are going to start with Pep Boys. Shares of Pep Boys up more than 20% this morning on the news that the auto parts chain is being taken private by the Gores Group. That's a private equity firm for just under $800 million. Joe, I'll start with you. Would Surprised by this news or no? No, I'm not too surprised. I mean, this has kind of been a hot space, broadly speaking, auto repair. Uh, reason being, no one is buying new cars. Everyone's pushing off that decision for as long as possible to save money these days. The average U.S. car is now almost 11 years old, which is the oldest it's ever been. Um, you know, an 11-year-old car certainly brings down a lot of parts. And certainly so mine does. dealers <laughs> have definitely definitely done very well. And, you know, when you look at private equity targets, something like an auto parts retailer is kind of a classic example of what they look for, where they can go in, fire a bunch of people, uh, streamline operations. I'm going to go on a limb, no offense to Pep Boys, and assume that there are probably some efficiencies that could be wrung out on the tech side. They'll go in and do that, uh, underinvest in the brand, and then turn around and flip it in three years. Jason, we were talking about this before we started taping. I mean, when you look at auto parts chains, uh, Consumers in the United States really aren't lacking for choices. There's Pep Boys, there's AutoZone, there's Advanced Auto Parts. Uh, by the way, both of those two companies have done much better in terms of the stock performance than Pep Boys over the last few years. Yeah, I think there's a good reason for that too. I mean, when you look at when you look at these companies, AutoZone and Advanced Auto Parts, and O'Reilly is another one. So AutoZone has more than 4,800 stores around the country. Advanced and O'Reilly each have more than 3,500 stores around the country, and Pep Boys has a little bit over 600. And so while it's an, it's an interesting brand and I mean you even going back to one up on Wall Street Peter Lynch's book where he references Pet Boys and that and that brand with Manny Mo and Jack as being so powerful maybe back then it was but now <laughs> maybe now today when we as consumers have so many options and I mean I was just referring to that example where we needed to go out and get a battery for my wife's car I wasn't looking to go to a specific store. I just wanted to get the one closest where I was to get a battery. And so I think that you're seeing these companies like AutoZone and Advance and O'Reilly performing better because they have a wider reach. And you know, Joe referred to the the age of the cars that are on the roads now, which I think is a great point, but I bet you Joe would, would agree with me too that we're going to be seeing some more of demand being built up here for new cars as time goes on, especially oh, yeah. if we see any kind of recovery. We know rates are going to be staying low for a considerably longer period of time now, which I think opens up some opportunities to get some good deals on new cars. So, you know, I don't know how much longer this this demand for these parts to keep these cars on the road is going to go on, but. Uh, you know, Pet Boys, to me, they don't really hold much of a competitive advantage over the other three. Yeah, I mean, just a great example of how difficult it is to have a brand and keep it fresh over a long amount of time in the retail space. I mean, Manny Moe and Jack, they got glasses and mustaches. <laughs> right. I mean, everyone has contacts now. Yeah. Nobody has a mustache. No offense if you got a mustache. I'm sorry. So you're saying the, that the marketing folks at AutoZone and Advanced Auto Parts, they're not racking their brains trying to come up with a mascot to compete with they're not, yeah. They're not faced with modernizing their brand, whereas Pep Boys sort of elicits that Three Stooges sort of of idea in your head. And yeah, but like a handy Three Stooges, <laughs> yeah, yeah, three, three Stooges, Stooges that actually your... fix your car instead now, of that like, would just be ruining. money right there. <laughs> Entertainment and getting your car fixed. 
Uh, guys, this morning, the Distilled Spirits Council, which is a trade association, uh, had a press event in New York City. Among the headlines coming out of the event, uh, U.S. U.S. exports uh, among spirit companies are growing at double-digit rates. American whiskey makes up nearly 70% of the exports. Joe, I think you and I are not particularly surprised we're 10% by that. Of that. Yeah, I was going to say, we're not surprised by that stat. Uh, here's the thing that caught my eye. Over the past decade, Spirits have gained 5% market share against beer. Um, To what extent – well, we'll get to beer in a minute. Let's talk about the spirit companies uh, because certainly companies like Diageo, uh, Beam, which is uh, now a publicly traded entity on its own. um, I'm assuming this portends good things for those companies. Jason? I think it does. And I think it it goes right back to when Fortune split the companies off when they sold off their golf division and sold off the – or spun off the beam division into its own business. I think they were seeing this trend as well and realizing that spirits – Or Bill Ackman was seeing this trend and harassed (laughs) them into doing it. Yeah, I mean – One way or the other. Hold hold on. Who is Bill Ackman? He's an activist investor who stepped in and helped – guide this process. Yeah, and I think he's the one who's seeing a lot of value in the Fortune Brands Home and Security Division, right? Yeah. 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 So anyway, I think they just they're seeing this trend where, you know, spirits are certainly picking up market share, which seems reasonable. I mean, beer has traditionally held a a large uh, share of the market, more mm-hmm. than half uh, since 2000. Yeah, and it's still more than half. And it's still more than half exactly. So when you see I mean, Spirits is picking up a little bit, but that makes sense. I mean, there are more options out there. Uh, it's certainly spreading to new developing economies, and so there are more people out there with more choices. I, I think it seems pretty reasonable to see them picking up share. And so, you know, kudos to the guys spinning off Beam because, man, they just spun that off at the right time. They just tucked in a nice little acquisition with uh, another Irish whiskey company, which should add a little bit more to their portfolio. And, and really, in all honesty, I wouldn't be shocked to see Beam. Uh, get picked up at some point or another. It's considerably smaller than Diageo at this point, but you know it's a pretty popular portfolio of brands. Joe? Yeah, I think Beam is a very logical takeout candidate. This is a space where acquisitions make a lot of sense because once you have this huge distribution network, like Diageo, for example, is in over 180 countries, for you to take a product like Beam and weave that into your distribution is pretty seamless, and you can do it easily, and you can probably market it to more places than it already is now if you have a big wingspan like Diageo does. So what happens is you get you know, your cost savings, and you also get incremental revenue because you have a longer reach. So I think it's definitely – I would be shocked if in five years Beam is still trading on its own. I was just thinking, you just reminded me of uh, Seth Goldman, who's the co-founder of Honest Tea, um, when he was here. The TEO. The TEO, yes. Uh, When he was here visiting the Motley Fool a few months ago, and one of the things he talked about was when uh, he and his uh, fellow co-founder were creating the company, and they put together their original business plan, nowhere did they reference the uh, even the word or the notion of distribution. And yeah. that was the thing. That was like his first hard business lesson was, oh, right. It's not just about making the tea. We got to get it out to people. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be, to your point, Joe, really the you know the key thing in terms of growth for these companies. And yeah, look at the beverage behemoths, Coca-Cola and Pepsi. I mean, that's one of their you know biggest competitive advantages is, in fact, distribution. They can get that product out around the globe with, without any fail. Let's uh, get back to the beer companies because, again, over the last decade, 5% market share, to your point, Jason, not a huge amount, particularly when you look at how much market share beer had had to begin with. But 
Um, it's pretty big at the margin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, but it's it's a trend that the you know, given their druthers, they would rather it go the other way. That over the last decade, uh, beer is gaining five percent market share. Um, it seems somewhat absurd to ask this, but I'll ask it anyway. How worried are beer companies about um, how much more the spirit companies can pick up in terms of market share? So I think it depends on which beer company you are. So if you're a big beer company like Anheuser-Busch InBev, for example, that makes a – I mean, let's just – I'm not trying to say it's bad beer, but there's nothing that really, We're being really distinguishes it. You know, I mean, if you're <laughs> trashing people that drink cheap beer and have mustaches. <laughs> like I have no problem with you know Bud Light and Coors Light and stuff like that, but it's certainly not distinguishable where if you have something like Samuel Adams or Yingling, for example – now, those are the two biggest American brewers left – I mean, they're relatively small. I mean, you're looking at Samuel Adams, which, you know, it's not even a – it's very, very small companies. And so I think that companies like Samuel Adams and Yingling, as far as beer goes, I think they're okay because they're still brewing something that's different. Uh, the bigger beer companies like Anheuser-Busch and Bev, I think they ought to be a little bit worried because you're going to see some, some folks, I think, migrating over towards giving, uh, you know, some of those unique spirits a try. Joe? Yeah, well, it's a tough industry, like we've talked about before. I mean, shipping beer is expensive. Um, it's heavy, and it doesn't have much value, and so you can't really ship it all that far. Because of that, the economics are tough. And then when you get into this craft beer revolution, which I am entirely supportive of, <laughs> um, you know, it's definitely undermined. You know, your buds of the world, your Molson Coors. Uh, Molson Coors is an IV recommendation, and I still like it, and I think it's dirt cheap, but... You know, they've definitely struggled, and they're having to cost-cut their way to, to earnings gains. And, you know, I'm expecting they can continue doing that for a while, but ultimately the rug pulls out on that. I think there is geography at play here, too. I mean, I, I think that beer is very localized, very regional. And, oh, yeah. And, um, you know, spirits are not that way. Spirit, you know, whiskey may be accepted worldwide, but I don't think you're going to find many Germans, for example, drinking Coors Light. And so, uh, you know, there are limitations there, I think, where beer is concerned. Drop us an email, radio at fool.com. By all means, weigh in on the whiskey, uh, spirits, and beer discussion. Uh, before we move to our last draw, I just uh, to something you just said, Joe. I don't think we were being abrasive to people with mustaches. <laughs> I think I think we. I had a mustache. You did. Uh. Um, I, I think we, you were just making the point that Manny Mo and Jack, the Pep Boys, have um, mustaches that are sort of historic in their style. They don't look like guys who are on the cover of GQ. Right. Yeah. It's it's they probably just need to go with a full goatee to sort of. <laughs> Bring it to present That's day. how you modernize yeah. the Pep Boys. Uh, final story, Wendy's latest quarterly results. Revenue up 6%, but profits down 30%. That's a pretty big number, Joe. Yeah, well, part of that was kind of your choppy accounting stuff. When you look at same-store sales, they had one of their best numbers since 2004 in terms of same-store sales growth. It was up over 4%. Now, McDonald's was up over 7%. So you can see that you know, McDonald's is still just owning the crap out of all these other burger companies. <laughs> I mean, they are. They're just own the crap owning them. Man. They're hustling them. I mean, you, I drove past McDonald's last night in a fairly rough part of D.C., which is where I live, <laughs> and it was in immaculate condition. Uh, you could tell, you know, it had recently been redone, looked great, and, you know, McDonald's for a long time let their stores go idle, and then they got serious about reinvesting in them and freshening up the product lineup. And when they did, their comps have taken off, and these other guys who... God, you go buy a Wendy's these days. It looks like they haven't changed the carpet since the 80s. Although that is, I mean, they did, when you look at the last six months for Wendy's in terms of significant announcements by the company, they've cut ties with Arby's. They sort of, you know, spun that off to private equity. They did announce that they are going to be revamping um, a lot of their locations. Um, Is part of their struggle just, you know, hey, look, this is, 
if if you're the Wendy CEO, is part of the case you want to make to Wall Street. Look, we're we're going through some growing pains here over the next year or so, but we're actually setting ourselves up for a, a strong next decade. Or is it? Or is yeah, it that's just the, that's what they'll say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whether or not you you're not buying that on it is a different question. I think that Wendy's is just facing such an uphill battle with the the proliferation of uh, the whole. Just fast food, not fast food market, but uh, fast casual dining segment. When you have your Chipotle's and your Five Guys, I mean, I don't know if Five Guys really classifies, but it's certainly a way better, a way better burger than uh, Wendy's. Uh, You know, even Panera to a degree. I think that we have, you know, a new generation of people who are seeing more options out there because you know, back when we were growing up, you had McDonald's and Burger King, Wendy's, and those were your options. Now we we see new and better options, and so to me, I don't see many advertisements for Wendy's anymore. I haven't been on Wendy's, and I can't even remember how long. You know, the one thing I, I found interesting with Wendy's and their whole their plan to achieve profitability to, to achieve their margins, they said they were going to achieve their margin goals by increasing sales and traffic to offset the higher costs. Well, duh! I mean, that's how you do it. <laughs> but tell me how you're going to increase traffic. He's just saying it doesn't make it happen, and it reminded me of when Netflix said they weren't going to they weren't going to spread anymore until they achieved profitability with their UK and Ireland rollout. And the question was how are they going to retain how are they going to get profitable with their UK and Ireland rollouts? Well, they're going to grow subscribers faster than they grow their costs. Well, duh, that's how you do it. But I mean, if, how are you going to grow subscribers if you're not buying good content, which costs a lot of money? So they're saying how they're going to do it, yes, but we still don't know really exactly how they're going to do it. And yeah. uh, that's my concern. Yeah, and just to close the loop on that, to bring it back to a point Jason was making about beer, we're basically with fast food, we've seen this shift towards the businesses that are killing it are the ones who are focusing on the higher end, kind of quick serve, not so much, you know, crappy, low end, greasy food. And you're seeing the same thing across the board, you're seeing it in retail with Whole Foods, you're seeing it in beer with Sam Adams and you know, it's a trend that unfortunately a lot of investors are already behind the curve on, but you should be paying attention to. Uh, when you look at the U.S. market when it comes to burger chains, I mean, McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, that's, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 to 80% of market share right there. You, we, you know, we've talked before about, about regional uh, private uh, brands like Culver's in the Midwest and In and Out. In and Out Burger, Five Guys. Um, if one of those, if 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 you'd like to see one of the, you know, we t- we talk from time to time here at the Motley Fool about private companies we would love to see go public. Is there a burger company that you'd like to see go public, or is it just, you know, it can just be for selfish reasons, even if you think they're going to get crushed in the public market? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Five Guys, I don't believe is public, is it? No, so, no, yeah. No. I, you know, I, I like Five Guys a lot, but let's get really local here. And I bet you Joe would be on board with this one with Ray's Hellburger. I mean, oh, yeah. they're just expanding, I think, to another store. But uh, Ray's is really local, so they might they might not quite be there yet. But Five Guys is certainly up there. Joe? Oh, Five Guys would be huge. And I bet the economics of those places are incredible because yeah. it's a totally stripped-down place. Well, and also they're incredibly focused. I mean, they really just, you know, it's burgers, fries. I think you can get hot dogs, and that's about yeah, it. And it's good. Yeah. It's good. All right. On that note, Jason Moser, Joe Mager, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Creer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.